So we're in James. James chapter 1, facing life and death trials together. And it may be that as we've been working through this and you've been hearing me up at the front saying those uh, first couple of verses of, of James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, as you face trials of many kinds. If only you knew, Alex, if only you knew. If only you knew the kind of trials that I have to face. You would not just glibly, smilingly stand up at the front and say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because I'm going through real hardship. Maybe you're thinking that. And yet, it's here. This is, this is either God's word or it's something we should just dismiss as kind of a little bit of philosophy for back then. But if this is God's word, and if he does say in that second verse, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, as you face trials of many kinds. And if he really is, well, let me just read that, those first couple of verses on your sheets, top left. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes, is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not sh- change like shifting shadows. He's, he's not the the recipient of the light, like the moon, that changes with the shifting shadows of where the earth is in relation to the sun. He's not a reflector. He is the life giver. He is the sun himself. And he is our father. He's, if he is that, then in whatever you're facing, if you're trusting in him, he is he's shaping you. He's teaching you. And he's not just doing that for you on your own, but We've called this whole series Facing Life and Good Death Trials together. Together. This is a together thing. He's, given, he's a father and he's given you a family. And we all know our own families teach us a lot. They teach us a lot about ourselves, don't they? Often in conflict, often in things we don't like about them shows in the reactions that we make to our family, actually, what's in our hearts. And the Lord is giving us life and death trials to be a together thing. And and this week, as we look at this end of chapter one section, I've called the title, How Do You See Yourself? How do you see yourself? And actually, one of the kindnesses of God in giving us trials and struggles with others, and we're going to see how this relates to struggles with others, is that he shows us ourselves. And I wonder how you, you see yourself this morning. Do you see yourself as that beloved child of your heavenly father? Rescued, redeemed, forgiven, grace poured out upon you. Or do you see yourself as completely independent from him? I'm gonna run my life my way. And we saw last week how that leads to rot and decay and death. If we cut ourselves off from the source of life, that's what happens. Go and watch a piece of meat, leave it on a plate for a week, two weeks, three weeks in your room. Not only will the stench fill the room, but you will know that that bit of meat is cut off from the source of life. We don't want to be like that. Or maybe you know you're, you're a believer, you know that you've received God's grace, but you still, the way you see yourself is you, you just, you see yourself as unworthy. You know that there's pockets of sin and mess in your life and resentment and anger and frustration. But you don't really want anyone to go near because it's so ugly. 
you don't want anyone to touch. And so you're constantly nervous whenever you face a trial or whenever someone brings something to you or whenever you get into an argument. But that, that stuff will be observed. So you're trying to keep it hidden. I don't know how you see yourself. But we're going to see in this passage how we should see ourselves. So last week we saw that, that every trial given to us by God to shape us is also a temptation. And how we can't blame God or we can't blame the circumstances we face for the temptation itself. Instead, we need to admit that if we give in to the temptation, it's because of our own sinful desire. We only ever do what we want to do. We only ever do what we want to do. That's what we saw last week. And so when we, when we sin, when we mess up, when we hurt others, it's because somehow in the moment, we did what we wanted to. And we need to observe that sinful desire in us, confess it, pour it out before the Lord, and ask him to fill us with his grace. And so we saw last week that the first step to healing is, is confession. And... I mentioned that I've um, learned a bit more about um, Alcoholics Anonymous over the last however many months, uh, last year or few few years, um, because of walking with someone who's dear to me, um, who you guys don't know. Um, and um, the one of the things about Alcoholics Anonymous is the reason it's it works so well it is because it's actually built on Christian principles. Um, and the, the guy who, I can't remember who it was now, but who, who gathered the Alcoholics Anonymous was, was bringing in Christian principles of, of confession and support. And um, the first thing that, as we all know, if you've ever seen a TV program that refers to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, is that people gather together in a little group, and the first thing they say is they say their name. So I would say, my name's Alex, and I'm an alcoholic. And what we saw, actually, that's really helpful. It's built, built on the Christian principles we saw in that first bit of James 1, my name is Alex and I'm a sinner. The first step in facing temptation is, is to confess, is to admit. We've done that this morning, it's really helpful. And then from that place of admitting our sin comes new birth. Comes new birth. Let's go back and look at verse 16 again. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. So James really cares about them. James is a pastor who really loves his dear brothers and sisters. And he's concerned that in their trials, they could be deceived into believing Satan's lies that God is a killjoy who wants to restrict them. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And so James continues, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose... He chose, what did he choose to do for you? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The word of truth, the the logos of truth, the gospel of truth. Jesus is described as the word. He is the logos, he is the gospel, coming to know him. He's the one who came to die for our sin, to give his life for us, to be the perfect human being that we could never be, to swap places with us on the cross, to give us life. Verse 18 again, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are born again, supernaturally. You are born again. It's not just a weird 
group of Christians called Born Again Christians, <laughs> Jesus said uh, in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, that great leader, you must be born again. It's, it, it, there, there's no such thing as a born again Christian and a not born again Christian. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are born again. And you are saved to be something. You're saved to be a foretaste of the new creation. Do you see that? End of verse 18, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That, that's the image of a harvest. And, and you imagine in, in autumn and every week you go out and you test whether the apples are ripe and they're still not ripe and they're still not ripe and they're still not ripe. And then one day, maybe late August, you see a lovely red apple. All the others are still green. And you go to that apple and you see if it's ripe. You twist it, it falls. You taste it. Oh, that's delicious. The harvest is going to be like that. And you are saved to be that. You are saved to be something that as you go out into the world, there's, people think, there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that is supernatural. There's something about you that means that through all the trials and the struggles and the pain and the arguments, somehow you seem to have a confidence that goes way beyond this world. You're not trying to find all your meaning and purpose right here and now. You're not like the rest of us trying to get the most out of the 70 or 80 or 90 years that we might be on this world. There's something about you that tastes of something that I want. I want that. I want to be part of that harvest. That's what we're made to be. But, and maybe if you're not a believer here this morning, you're thinking, but, hang on, if that's the case, why are... There's some pretty horrible people here. <laughs> why, why are there some messed up people? Why do these people seem to struggle just as much as everyone out there? Why, why do we still sin? Why aren't churches full of perfect people who, who glow like, like a kind of portal into the new creation? Where you walk around and people are like, Woo, if I go, wow, there's sort of some glowing presence there. I can feel like I could just go straight through into the new creation there. Why, why aren't we like that? And the answer in this passage is because we so quickly forget who we are. We so quickly forget who we are. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Or we could call this passage, remember who you are. I'm going to read the whole of uh, 19 to 25. I just want you to see if you can spot that. Because... I used to think this passage was more about, let's get practical. I think it's much more about, remember who you are. Okay, we'll, we'll read it through, see if you can see something of that, and then we'll work back through it slowly. My dear brothers and sisters, verse 19. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because... Human anger does not produce the righteousness, or, or, or literally the justice, that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you or heal you. Same word. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We'll come back to those last couple of verses, which I think fit more with next week. I, I used to think this passage was m- more about let's get practical. So I saw, I heard that illustration, it's, it's a quite famous illustration in the Bible about the mirror. And I always read it as, look in the mirror, see you've got muck all over your face. Or you're covered in sort of spots and cuts and so on. And, and, and wash it off or take the medicine. Don't just look in the mirror, see all the muck. And then do nothing about it. That would be weird. You, know, you, you get up in the morning, you see bad hair day, and then you walk straight out the door forgetting the, that it's bad hair day. No, I think it's much more about how you see yourself. Because he says, doesn't he, immediately forgets not the muck on his face, immediately forgets what he looks like. So I think this passage is saying, if you really see and remember who you are in Christ, that you are a son of the Father or a daughter of the Father, you are loved and saved and born again, then it will transform how you act. And James is getting practical. But in order to get practical, you have to see who you are. So he starts with the issue of anger. Let's go back to verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Jim helps us on on Tuesday evening to think, listen to who? I I always saw this as just something you could take out of context. Uh, Listen to one another. And, And that is totally true. But what's repeated again and again and again and again in this passage is listen to the word, isn't it? The word, the word, the word, the word, the word. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness or literally the the justice that God desires. Am I right, Vincent Olivier? Justice, righteousness, same word in French, is that right? Yeah. And in Greek... Justice, righteousness, it's the same word. So we often think of righteousness as sort of good behaviour and justice as being sort of God the judge, bringing justice. Well, actually, it's, it's more justice here. And, and actually, that works with anger, doesn't it? Because who or what makes you anger, angry? What makes us angry? Anger is about justice. And, and so it can be appropriate. He doesn't say anger is wrong. He just says, be slow to become angry. Quick anger or human anger is the gut reaction that children are so brilliant at bringing out (laughs) to help us see ourselves. What do kids say so often when they get angry, when something's denied them? That's not fair! It's a justice issue. And what do children mean when they say, that's not fair? Do they mean, mommy, daddy, look, My little sister over there, I've got all these toys and I would love to share with them. It's so unfair that she doesn't have so much. Please, can I take my toys and share them with my little sister? No, what they mean is the world revolves around me. I am God of my life. I am king of this universe. And you have just taken from me something that I rightly deserve. And it is not just. It is not okay that I have not been given what I expect to be given. It's not fair. 
because the universe revolves around them. But we're the same, aren't we? We've just learned to be a bit more polite. Quick anger, human anger is that gut reaction, isn't it? And the question is, when we say that's not fair, or we feel that anger, whose justice are we concerned about? Are we concerned about justice for us? Or are we, as we'll see at the end of this passage, concerned about justice for the widow and the orphan and the weak and the poor? You see, anger reveals our heart. It reveals what we're really concerned about. You see, if we're slow to anger, we, we assess the situation, we see the way the poor and the widow and the orphan and the marginalised are treated, and anger, our anger builds like the Lord's to really care about justice. But when we think the world revolves around us, we're quick to become angry because we see all the time that we don't get what we want right now. So James continues, verse 21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil. I, I find it frustrating sometimes. Um, Lucy, is this our water? You can see that I was, my mouth is drying out. Um, I find it frustrating sometimes that... Um, this word is always evil in the Bible, because I think when we think of evil, we think of red eyes, don't we? And, and horns and pitchforks and really nasty. Well, it's definitely not us. The word could easily just be bad. Okay? So, therefore get rid of all moral filth and, and the badness that is so prevalent. So, so that's James picking up on, on the theme we looked at last week, where does the mess come from? It comes from our hearts. And actually, the, the, the beginning of dealing with anger and sin in our hearts is just is to call it out and, and to recognise it is there. Get rid of all the moral filth and the badness that is so prevalent in you. But how? How do I, how do I get rid of that? I mean, I, I know it's a problem. I see this stuff coming up in the conflicts that I face and, and I say stuff and I'm quick to speak and I'm, I'm quick to become angry and I, I don't listen well. And I want to change. Maybe I, I just need to... I just need to try a bit harder. That's why we come to church, isn't it? We come to church to learn what the rules are. And to tell each other how bad we are. And then to say, are we all going to try a bit harder this week? And we're going to go home and we're going to live a week of trying really hard. And be really self-controlled, because the opposite of anger is self-control, isn't it? We all know the best way to deal with anger in your heart is just suppress it. Push it down, lock it in, don't let anyone see it, deal with it that way. That's the best way to deal with anger, isn't it? Hopefully you're all saying no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were suppressing our <laughs> Very wonderfully English and suppressed. <laughs> The opposite of anger is not self-control. The opposite of anger is, well, let's see how the verse continues. Verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the badness that is so prevalent and humbly. The opposite of anger is not self-control, it's humility. The open humility to recognise that this anger and badness is prevalent. My name is Alex and I'm a sinner. The reason I'm here is because I'm rubbish. 
The reason I'm here is because I need help. The reason I come to church is because I need help. I need you guys. I need you guys to remind me of the gospel. The reason I need you to pay me to read the word is because I might struggle to read the word on my own. You see, pride leads to anger because I'm trying to defend my reputation. And I suppress those angry feelings thinking my honour and respect is needed. But actually, I need to humbly get rid of all moral filth and say, yeah, the badness is prevalent in me, actually. So when someone comes to me with a criticism or a challenge, and they say, Alex, you really hurt me, I can say, I didn't realise I hurt you in that way. But I know that moral filth and badness is prevalent in me. And can we work this through together? Will you forgive me? So the first step is, is humbly confessing. But it can't stop there. You, you can't fix yourself, even with humility. Verse 21 continues, doesn't it? And humbly accept or receive the word planted in you, which can save you. So the first step to defeating anger is, is the humility to admit, yes, but to receive. And to receive what? The word, the logos, the, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, the new birth planted in you, which can save you. And that word for save in the Greek is the same word for heal. It's going to come up late more in, in James, especially in the last chapter. The gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus that saves you and gives you a relationship with God as your father is the same gospel that heals you. And this is a supernatural implanted word. Don't you see it there? The word planted in you. It's, it's about heart change. A seed planted in the soil and then it germinates and life comes. This is supernatural. And someone pointed out to me this week as I was listening and preparing for this. In one acorn, in one acorn is enough life to cover the entire surface of the earth with wood, if you think about it. Because in one acorn grows one tree. That one tree produces thousands of acorns. Those implanted, you could fill the whole earth. It's supernatural. I mean, scientists can explain the process, they can observe the process, but, but why? Why is there, there life there? It's implanted. And God's word is like, well, it's so much more powerful than one acorn. It, it can save you and heal you, bring about change and transformation. But, but hang on a minute, if, it, if it's natural, if, if, they, if we're born again, how, how, do you, how do you receive what is already implanted? Surely, you know, I become a Christian and bam, I'm suddenly a wonderful person. No, because this life-giving word is not the equivalent of, say you needed a kidney transplant, being given a kidney, and once the kidney's there, it just sort of automatically, you, you kind of forget. When, when did you last think of your kidneys? I bet most of you hadn't thought of your kidneys for a long time, but just now you suddenly really, oh yeah, I've got some kidneys. You, you don't think about, you, you don't need to do anything to take advantage of your kidneys. It's not automatic like kidneys, but it's more like lungs with oxygen. The way you know you have new life, the way you know you're alive, the way you know you're someone who is born again, who has the word implanted in you, 
is how you respond to the word. Like someone who would be gasping for breath. Someone who's been locked in a chamber and the air's running out and then the doors are open. And <gasps> it's active. You, you know you need it. And, and you don't go around saying, I've got oxygen. I've got oxygen, so I don't need to breathe. I'll be absolutely fine without breathing because I've got oxygen. I've got oxygen in my lungs. I have it. Eventually, this illustration will <laughs> stop working because <laughs> I will run out of breath. And the way we know we're born again, or sometimes we don't know it, but others see it. Um, he's not here because he's out with the kids, but um, Connor is one of my favourite illustrations of this. Because he came to this church um, young, he'd left school at 16, didn't think of himself as particularly intellectual or interested. And yet when any of us would meet up with him and read the word, there was a hunger there. And um, I was talking to Ed about it. <laughs> and I remember Ed got the privilege of reading the Bible with Connor and he used to say how encouraged he was doing that so I thought oh, I need a bit of that and so I'd meet up and read with Connor and read the Bible with him and just his hunger for the word was amazing he's not an intellectual kind of guy so much so that when he told his, some of his family members that he was going to be starting as a ministry trainee here and going to study the Bible at Cornhill and so on he said well why would you want to do that you're not very intellectual he had a hunger for the word and it was so encouraging I just could see life and he often he talks about and we, we talk about this where he says um, you know he finds it hard to read the word on his own so this isn't about are you an intellectual kind of guy or are you the kind of person who likes to go away and study the word and finds that always it springs to life in you no but when you meet up with someone and when you go into in depth into the word does, does life come does it feel like you're breathing oxygen do you feel like this is life-giving that's a sign of the new birth. But also, will you, you can be born again and you can sort of just keep a pocket of your lung away from the Lord. You're like, no, that's bits for me. I don't want to expose that bit. That bit's embarrassing. Back to verse 21. Do you see how the opposite of anger is humility? And then the opposite... Sorry, the, the opposite of anger is humility, and, and that's the humility to see my own moral filth. But then, it's not just the humility to receive God's grace, but also to, to listen. See verse 22? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's not about the mess on your face. It's about what you look like. You look in the mirror and you see yourself. And what do you see? How do you see yourself? That's the title of this morning's sermon. How do you see yourself? And there will be lots of things in the world preaching to you, telling you things about yourself. And some of them positive and some of them negative. And depending on your upbringing, you might be someone who is full of kind of self-confidence. Or you might be someone who just feels like a complete failure all the time. But don't look in the mirror of the world, look in the true mirror, the mirror of God's word. And what do you look like? You look like, James tells you, you look like a foretaste of the new creation. You look like a child of God. You look like someone who is loved 
and appreciated and wanted. You look like someone who's on a journey with your Heavenly Father to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This anger, this moral filth, it's not who you are. It's not who you are anymore. Apart from Christ, that's all you've got left, self-sufficiency. But in Christ, it's not who you are anymore. You are glorious in Christ. And if you remember and hold on to that, it will change your behaviour. If you realise who you are in Christ, it will change your behaviour. And it takes supernatural and ongoing healing to see that. That the, the word that saves you is the word that goes on healing you. In preparing this week, I ended up listening to a couple of podcasts of people with anorexia. And I certainly don't expect, after a couple of podcasts, to understand that. But it was so striking when these couple of women that I listened to talked about what they saw in the mirror when they were really ill. And they would talk about how they, they were a size eight or seven or six or five or four. You know, one girl was saying that she couldn't have her blood test taken with adult, um, not blood test, the blood pressure taken with, with adult because only an infant's one would fit her, her arms. And, and yet she said she saw someone who was massive, size 18, 25, whatever. And, and she talked about how all her attempts to be in control and make herself more beautiful in her mind was making her more beautiful, but actually in reality was making her more gaunt and enslaved to a destructive pattern. And what she was saying is she needed help. She needed help from outside to see reality and perspective. And, and part of the humility we need is to say, I can't see reality on my own. And if you had an upbringing like mine, where everything was idyllic. I mean, I grew up basically on what m many people would imagine is a kind of heaven on earth. And, and so you'll grow up with a kind of pride and self-sufficiency that makes you think you can do anything. And you need others to come in and say, you're not self-sufficient, don't do that to yourself. It will just make you more gaunt and enslaved to destructive patterns. Come with me, people would say, and, and let's look at the supernatural word together and our grace and healing. Or if you grew up in really tough circumstances or being beaten down and being never told you were loved or precious, you may hear someone say they love you a thousand times, but one criticism, you just can't let it go. And it hurts. You feel you can't move on. And you need someone you love and trust to come to you with the gracious word of God. Say, this is implanted in you. Let it flourish. Breathe deep in that pocket of your lung that says you're worthless. Admit you cannot free yourself. But verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Blessed, probably more easily translated because it always is a sort of religious word. It was a normal word in the Greek that meant happiness, deep-seated, real, life-giving happiness. 
This is the route to happiness. If you want to live a changed life, then keep breathing the life-giving word. Keep listening, staring into the word that tells you who you really are. You are, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are a foretaste of the new creation. You are a precious child of your heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Yes, you are a sinner, but you are a saved sinner and a healed sinner. Remember who you are in Christ. Do you see how that deals with anger? Sometimes our, our kids will say to us when they're denied something, I hate you. You're so mean to me. Why have you denied me this thing? And sometimes the only thing we can do is just hold them in our arms and say, no, I love you. In some ways, God can say this more than we can say of our children because he's adopted us. I chose you. You are precious to me. I want what is good for you. And I may have denied you this one thing that you think you need right now, but I love to give you good things. Come with me. If you trust your Heavenly Father like that, then it will transform what you do. So much so that the things that you care about, the justice issues that you care about, won't be the things that make your life easier. But verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Verse 27. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Once you've accepted what God says about you and his grace poured out into your life, then he'll begin to fill you and energise you such that you can become a gracious servant of his to save the poor and the needy and the marginalised and the broken. And actually the reality is he can do both healing works at the same time. And so churches will feel like a hospital for the sick. For all of us who keep forgetting, we, we look in the mirror on a Sunday, we read the word together, and then we immediately forget what we look like, and we go away and we mess up, and we need to come back to the endless grace of our Heavenly Father. And we'll think more next week about the justice issues that we can serve out there. But the question is, is your religion, and, I, and that in a good way, is your religion, the, the good things of gathered worship? You know, we, I just grew up saying, because I grew up in very dead religion, I grew up thinking it was very helpful to say to people, I'm not religious. Well, what I meant was I'm not religious in the way you think of. But actually, a lot of people who've had no experience of religion, if they, they looked on us, they'd think you are quite religious people because you gather for worship. So the good things of gathered worship and prayer and the Lord's Supper, is your religion in that way leading to humble, servant-hearted action, the blessed life, the happy life, is not the easy life. It's the fulfilled life of service and grace. And if you want to live that kind of life, the question is, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? And are you breathing the oxygen of the word, of the gospel? Yes, you're a sinner. And yes, that might be the beginning of your meeting. 
when you come. My name's Alex. I'm a sinner. I need help. But you are born again. He chose to give you new birth. You have the implanted word in you, which is saving you and healing you at the same time. And so what we really need to hear, as we desire to listen to the word and do what it says, is in the words of our last song. And perhaps, Ed, you could come up and lead us in that. It's a very simple song. I'm just going to read little bits of it, and then we're going to sing that. And pray as we sing, the Lord would help us look into the mirror and not forget who we are. See those precious words? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. His love for me. For you. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. You, you look into the word, and it's the perfect law that gives freedom. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And then we'll sing that refrain. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me. And even in the midst of the trials, when I think you're against me, and I think you're putting me through this because you're that mean parent, you're restricting me, why don't you give me what I want? No, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am in Christ. I'm born again. The word of God is implanted in my life. And if I just breathe, the oxygen of the word, I can thrive, even in the hardest trials. Let's stand and sing and pray as we sing. And if, as Ed play, pr plays, you want to pray, just put a hand up and Jim or Debbie will bring you a microphone and you can share or pray or just reflect. Let's stand and sing, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? <laughs>